Welcome to Protecting Your Assets, the show about protecting people, property, and most importantly, protecting your ass. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano, and I'd like you to join me for a fast-paced and often fiery discussion about security issues with my co-host, Brian the Angry Man Claimant. Whether we're piercing the veil of security, talking your duty of care, or raving about the latest technology, we'll share our thoughts on the issues, the trends that are impacting security today and into the future. So grab a coffee and join us for our latest podcast. And don't forget to like and follow us on our sponsor's website, briancleman.com. And now let's talk about protecting your assets. Hello, folks, and welcome to Protecting Your Assets. I'm your host, Lucky Luciano Sojourney, with me, as always, Brian the Angry Man Clayman. And today, we've got a returning guest, our first returning guest, so he didn't get the hint the first time. He's back for more, and that's Bill Needles of Toronto Police Service, now retired, enjoying retirement somewhat, still doing some work on the side uh, with his uh, consulting firm called GTA Emergency Management Consulting. Is that correct, Bill? That's correct. Little, but, uh, we are Excellent. pressed for time today, so let's get into our regular routine and uh what keeps you up at night these days brian well you know having watched like many people the activities in ottawa and the uh, freedom uh, convoy uh i can't help but think that words matter yeah. you know some of the things i've heard from organizers of the protests that it's against the bill of rights it's against the charter the police arrested me and they didn't give me my miranda rights uh, we're losing our freedoms. Words really matter, and it just drives me absolutely crazy when people make statements and other people follow them, which are just blatantly wrong. For example, the charter, uh, 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 this is protected under the charter. Section one of the charter is very clear, and section one says that your rights can be limited if it was in the interest of the country as approved by the courts. So. What's really been driving me crazy is the fact that people are saying things that they don't, almost like me, saying things that they don't know what it means, and other people follow them, and then we get ourselves into the mess that we just seem to have gotten out of in Ottawa. Yeah, words matter, and if our Prime Minister didn't discount that movement as a bunch of wingnuts, I probably would have headed that off long before his, they got to Ottawa. His, his words mattered a lot. Yeah, yeah. His, but, his socks matter more. <laughs> All right. Thanks for that. For me, I'm just going to quickly note that, uh, you know, obviously uh, what's going on in Ukraine, I think, is on everybody's mind. I don't know what the hell is going on with this world. We seem to be getting crazier and crazier. But, you know, it's 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 a sad state of affairs. Uh, you know, well, we, we, found a bigger, we found a bigger narcissist in the world than everyone thought Trump could be. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Although I don't know if he would have done it with Trump in, in the office. Well, uh, that's questionable. He Trump says no way. Uh, so you'd have to you'd have to see where that one went. Yeah. I'm, thankfully, it's a wonderful thing. Th thankfully, you know we we we're stepping up with a couple of hundred troops and an airplane and and, and, a, and a naval vessel, which is you know nothing compared to the grand scheme of things. I, I hope those guys are safe that are going over there, guys and girls. And sure. do their best given what uh, what little resources we have. So that's the reality. But uh, with that, I'm going to turn over to Bill, our guest. We are going to be talking about uh, what went on in uh, Ottawa, the convoy, and the uh, subsequent protests, the occupy, the illegal occupation, and the subsequent you know invoking of the Emergency Act by our Prime Minister, uh, which recently just revoked that too. So things are moving pretty quick. Uh, but basically, for those who don't know. Bill, you know, has an extensive history with dealing with protests uh, in, in his uh, background. 
Um, I, we first met him, or I certainly first met him when we had G20 in Toronto, and we all know how that went. Um, and, you know, his experience on something like this is uh, invaluable. He's been there, he's done that, um, and he's a recognized expert in the country. So we're happy to have you, Bill. I really appreciate you coming on for a quick chat today. And I'm going to turn it over to you. What are your initial thoughts on the, what went on and where, oh where we can go? Um, it brought back uh, it brought back some you know uh, uh, nightmares. It brought back yeah. some memories. It brought back a lot. But uh, I, I will start with the most positive thing that I have to say about this was I watched a lot of it on the weekend, and I saw uh, what I would be considered a spectacular um, show of restraint. A spectacular show of force, but at the same time, a spectacular show of well-disciplined, highly motivated police officers from across the country uh, uh, that that put this thing uh, to bed um, over in the shortest possible, safest possible period of time. I, I commend every one of them there. Been there on both uh, the front line of those things in Ottawa for a couple of the presidential visits. Uh, in the in the command posts for several of them, but but at the same time and planned them. So I I have a good concept of what goes on. What a lot of people again don't understand about these kinds of events, um, and and you guys probably do because you've had your feet in the policing world. Is for every officer they saw on the front lines, and you know what, uh, you know I, I always like to play with the protesters. A little game. I, I mean, I'm sure you could edit, edit this out, but anyone that worked for me knew I like to play mind fuck with the protesters, right? I show, I show them, I show them this, and then I take it away, and I show them something different, and I take it away, show them something different, and and I was watching for this, and though I'm only getting on the TV, I finally saw Calgary Police not till Sunday morning. I'm going good. There's more that, you know, so it, it's a matter of uh, of the strategy of the commander. And I know the commander, uh, I've worked with the commander, the commander, uh, and I won't mention him by name, but we were on the Ontario Public Order Advisory Committee together, and we spent many hours talking public order strategy. And uh, obviously, he picked up a lot over the years, and he, he's done a pretty good job of detailing these officers to different intersections with different this and different that. Um, but but I saw a lot of good work. Um, you know, everyone said, "Oh, they've got big sticks." Yeah, they do, <laughs> and they're pushing people. Yeah, they are. Um, but you know what? Uh, they they weren't, you know, using any more force that's necessary in policing. You guys know, um, the law allows under Section 25 that if if someone's going to uh, hit you, you can take that one step level higher, right? You can hit them back, and that's all good within the section. Police officers have a certain status, and then with that status comes a great deal of responsibility. And we won't go into all that accountability, yep. responsibility, SIU, blah blah blah. Uh, but it, but you're you're definitely authorized to use force. So when these people are pushing, officers are allowed to push back. You're trying to move a line. You're allowed to push. The RCMP have their big truncheons. They push. They push. And then I've seen a couple other services bring out their sticks and start pushing. And, and, and you know what? There's good and there's bad to that. People will say, wow, they're using that big stick. Well, you know what? That's nice and gentle, a little bit of force, but it's better than going bang yeah. with the stick or punching with your fist. It's just, just a smoother, simpler little motion, uh, and people are moving. I will say. 
I will say this was not a violent, really violent event. It wasn't G20. Nowhere near G20. And I, and, and I, and I was biting my tongue when some of these uh, reporters were saying, oh, this is the most violent, the largest, the most violent uh, event in Canadian history. And I'm looking at them. They're only about 25 years old. They wouldn't have been around 10 years ago <laughs> doing right. that job. Uh, <laughs> you know, go back and ask some of the reporters who covered G20, Lisa Laflamme, Joe Warmington, and ask them to watch these things. And I wouldn't say they would actually say this is the most violent protest ever. It was a large protest. It had a lot of vocalness. It had some different traits to it. Obviously, the trucks and, you know, the campers, all that totally different scenario, but they, they're different. But really, violence-wise, this was not really a violent, well, violent protest. Can, can I, I just want to build on the violence, Bill. Uh, according to my sources that are on YouTube, did the police use the horses to assault those poor people? Talk about the use of horses in a program. Well, let me let me let me tell you. I was also the horses fell under my command when I was at emergency management of public order. So they were they have been a long-standing, valuable part of of public order. So it's a decision by the tactical commander in charge of that group on the ground at that time. So what I understand was that at that moment, the the protesters. Uh, and, and, and we won't get into the terminology of occupiers and all that. We'll, we'll just call them protesters. Other legal opinions will put that all on them at, at a later date when they come, when they all come to court. But so the protesters started pushing, pushing, pushing. And, you know, there is a little violence in that, you know, altercation of bumping back and forth. And they're not agreeing, not moving. And there's snow banks and there's pylons that they put all up there and they're moving over them. So, so. What the commander on the ground determines is that I need to create some space. And one of the one of the functions, one of the tactics of the horses is that is to create space. And, and I, let me go back 22 years to the the riot on the front of Queens Park in June of 2000, uh, when uh, OCAP and some of the other uh, activist groups. We got into it on the front lawn of Queens Park, and we didn't have the resources that we required that day. It wasn't expected to be a violent altercation. It turned out to be a violent altercation, and and we had our horses that game. And there's a lot of act animal activists and so on. So, so um, I was too icy at, of the day and uh, the inspector of the day. We were taking, after they ripped the fences all down and they attacked us and they were trying to get in to, to the front doors of Queens Park, that was their intention, was to break into Queens Park. We needed some assistance because we were, you know, going nose to nose and there was a lot of bricks being thrown at us, a lot of sticks being swung, a lot of officers going down, a lot of people falling here and there. So we needed to move them. So you, you direct the horses to create a wedge movement and that's what they did they just swept across the front of the police line which gives approximately 10 to 15 feet depending on how wide the berth is of space and then the police fill the the, the walking police fill in that line behind it and grab that space grab that that real estate it's a way to move the line back it's a and i watched it brian and i did not see fully how the lady got hurt but I saw the guy that got knocked over. 
he purposely, in my opinion, stepped a foot back into the middle of that open space. And and what did he expect? A horse is coming through. Yeah. You're not gonna you're not gonna win that battle. There was no intent. There was no there was no hit. The horse and his rider were just doing what was tasked to them. And this guy put himself in the way of that horse. And yeah, Bill. And, and to be clear, so you don't disown me, I was sort of uh, facetious the way I set this question up. The, the point I was trying to make it is just so interesting how people saw that as an attack sure. and brutality on the part of the police, when the reality was that the police kept warning them to get back, kept warning them to 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 listen, heed the commands. It's not like they opened up on these protesters without warning. I mean, there comes a point where you say, we're coming in, back off, and they didn't. Well, and, and if they don't, that's when the force is allowable it's justifiable for the police to actually use force people never think that the police are allowed to use force but the law is quite clear simple and plain you know use as much force as necessary right and that's the, the draw there is as necessary and right at that point in time the horses in the in the eyes and the justifiable command of the tactical commander on the ground felt that they were justified and i don't know who that commander was I don't, I don't know if it was a Toronto commander, because I think the Toronto uh, Public Order Union was on the ground there, I think the RCMP. So I have no idea who was, who was calling the shots on the ground, but whoever was felt that they, were, they, they required that use of force option. It's the same as the, the second SIU situation is now an Arwen round. There yeah. are certain limitations in law and in practice and procedures, and every every. Uh, police services may be a little bit different, generally the same, but they have different policies and procedures for the use of that Arwen round um, and the rubber bullet. And it, it was it was ejected by an officer from Vancouver. Don't know the circumstances, but obviously that officer would have to articulate that and justify that. And now we'll have to be do that under the investigative eyes of SIU. Uh, Bill, oh, Brian, okay. no, Bill I, I'm going to ask a question because... I want to get both sides of the story here because we obviously they focus on the on the protesters and they focus on the police because those are the two going head to head. But there's also a role for private business owners here who are caught in the middle. You know, we heard about Rideau. They were shut down for three weeks uh, because of what was going on. Is there an opportunity there or is there something that you've done in the past to support um, you know, what protecting those businesses as you go into those lines, because things can go, you know, G20 is a good example because things did go sideways there and businesses were damaged. We didn't see that so much in Ottawa, but that's a real p potential when, when police start engaging with the, the I don't want to say the enemy, but, you know, the, the people that they're going to take out, there's there's potential for violence. How do you communicate that to the surrounding area, the, the businesses? How, what can they do to protect themselves? Well, there's a little, there's two, two folds to that, Luch, and, and for a planned event such as G20, we met, and I met with you guys as yep. property managers and, and security arms of property, and, and met with a lot of other downtown BIAs, and certain, I do not believe Ottawa would have had that opportunity to meet right. before this all set up, so it would have been an ongoing excuse me, ongoing process of how do we communicate with our, pro, our partners, and to, to, to sit down and talk with them. Uh, unfortunately, I'm going to say we're into the heat of it, and there's yep. probably not as much opportunity for Ottawa police to actually engage with the BIA. So I, I, I would say those liaison officers that they had would have 
try to do the best they can to alleviate some of the concerns that the business would have had, like, can we keep the Rideau Centre open? Well, obviously, there's there's too short of assets, police-wise, to put, you know, guards at the door. Now, if, 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 if the Rideau Centre wanted to shore it up with their own security, what are we going to get? We're going to get confrontation potentially at the at the front doors trying to stop these people because they were set on their ways about not having a mask going in, et cetera, et cetera. So those those decisions are some that uh, you know I can't say to you right now that would work or this would work. You'd have to have those longstanding discussions, right? And that, that that's where I was going with with the question. Absolutely, the, the problem is do, right. That's the thing, and we had we had that group going before this even happened. Yeah. So it was a, it was a it just bled into G20, and we were already way down the road of having a lot of things already prepared and done and planned and 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 discussed uh, before. And that's what the the local police uh, agencies need to do is have more uh, discussions, more meetings, more opportunities with their private sector. Uh, security arms and mostly and that's what it's going to be the private se sector security pieces from and that's why taps and we talked about taps a hundred times over that's why an organization like taps was was so valuable back then uh was 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 it allowed the connection and the relationship between the police and the private security to flourish so bill i just building on that i want to talk a little bit about unified instant command because you are one of the most recognized experts in canada certainly if not north america on that and unified instant command please correct me if i'm wrong is really bringing uh, together different entities different police services and working under a common command element but it also includes certainly at g20 working with the private sector under that model can you talk about the importance of the private sector understanding ims so that they can participate when something like this occurs? Brian, the, the best example I ever use, and I use it a hundred times, is the discussions that we had prior to, and the morning of the, the Saturday morning, G20, probably around one o'clock, I don't know, two o'clock in the afternoon, when I asked for the uh, pathway, the path the, within the Toronto, and if anyone's listening and doesn't know what the path is, it's the the entire 32 kilometers of underground stores and walkway and, and trans, transportation hub for for the downtown core to go back and forth around all the major towers and major buildings to the to the subway to the GO station to everywhere downtown to the Scotia Bank Center to you know the Rogers Center everything pretty much connects underground. Well, we worked diligently for uh, for a period of months. And we shut that baby down in five minutes because my intelligence came to me as the commander in the in the command center, the emergency operations center was they're going to the they're going to the path. Well, if they got into the path and started wrecking stores down, the destruction could have just been phenomenal, right? Phenomenal. I know you guys lost a couple of expensive windows, but we would have probably lost the same amount of money on small windows down there, right? And and they would have just pilfered everything they could get their hands on. They would have just destroyed the place, in my opinion. And I went, no way, they're not going down there. So I I, I put out the word, and the, and the path got shut down, locked down solid, five minutes. And that totally came from the relationship between and, and all, all I asked was the representative you, you you guys had is the private sector in our command center who had a table there, and that was key and vital 
We shared our command center with our private sector, you know, companies. Uh, the private sector security arm had a seat at the table to help uh, representing the TAPS group, representing the private sector corporations and security people to, to make that call and shut her down. And the police didn't shut an echo of it. It was all done by the private security arms of all of the towers, of all of the, the sectors that own a piece and a hunk. And, you know, there's a million different owners of that path. It's not one company. The city doesn't own it all. CIBC, Scotiabank, Montreal, none of them own it all. They own their pieces underneath them, but they don't own enough of it to do it to make it a secure lockdown. It got locked down. And that totally, to me, was a, a private sector security, public sector policing win. Do you know, Bill, if in Ottawa there was that same type of uh, uh, unification between private sector and the police? Were they in their, their command center as far as you know? I don't know, Brian. I don't know. I can only, I, I can only imagine I, and say I hope so. But I would not be surprised if they didn't quite get that right away because this thing happened so fast. From the time um, they started coming to Ottawa, there was a three-week period there. They might have had an opportunity to make that uh, that seat available to them, and I hope they did. Uh, but but I don't know that, so I, I, I can't comment whether or not that happened. I know Ottawa. I know some of the commanders. I've worked a lot with Ottawa because I've been to Ottawa numerous times for presidential visits, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, um, when, I, when I worked in their command center for the second Bush visit in 2006, I think it was, or 2004, whatever, <clears throat> whatever yeah, they had a private sector. Uh, when I was sitting, I was at the public order commander table, but they had a private sector. That, and I know that they've always been heavily involved in private sector re relationships because look what Ottawa is, right? Yeah. But I, I must say to your credit, and I hate to say nice things about you, we, know, in, we in Toronto had a uh, understanding and the ability to work together. And if there was something that occurred with little warning, we had the ability to stand up the private sector and the police on very, right, very short right. notice. Right. And then you had PathCon, which you guys are well aware of. You, you had set in motion some additional assets and, and mitigating factors that you could work with that and then you know we we always knew that and you all <laughs> and you'd always phone me if you couldn't get what you wanted. <laughs> that's true well Bill, certain boots did yeah uh i know uh you you've got a few minutes left with us uh, and then we'll let you go but i wanted to ask you know this was a little different because you said it earlier g20 was planned so we had the time and uh, to your point the occupy the occupation of, of ottawa I, I don't think that there was a much much time for those relationships to be established unless they had them from the from the get-go, um, you know, long before the, they were on their doorstep. But you did have a number of, you didn't have like a week or so of intel coming in. And in that time, you really didn't know how big it was going to be or how serious they were. There were a lot of unknowns. What, what goes through your head as a planner for that type of an event where there's so many unknowns and you know that it's possible, but you don't want to overstep sort of your preparations? What, what type of things are you considering? Well, the first the first question you have to ask here is uh, um, what worked, what didn't work. Was the intelligence there, or was it not? Uh, was it delivered to Ottawa Police Service in its initial stages? Uh, you know, I'm hearing different things, but I can't verify what was delivered to Ottawa in the form of of policing uh, or intelligence prior to them on their way here. 
you know, what, what we saw in the news was certain things. They're coming to Ottawa. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. Well, you know, I, I've been on the other end of those those reports when people say they're going to do this and they're going to do that and they come and they do none of it, right? Uh, you know, intelligence is a wonderful thing, but it, it sometimes is it's a hit and miss thing. So did they know? And if they did know, why did or didn't they do what anything they did? And then once they got in, in, enshrined in their situation and three days in, they're going nowhere and they've got the entire downtown of Ottawa locked down, uh, I do believe with, uh, I do agree with uh, then Chief Slowly. He didn't have the assets to do it. Um, I, I, you know, he made a, made other comments and I won't make any comment on what, what Chief Slowly made about it, but, but I did 100% agree with him. He did not have anything near the assets to move that out of there. And I didn't even know from what I had seen the scope of where all these trucks were. Yeah. And, you know, you see on TV, you saw Wellington street, but you didn't get to see Metcalf. You didn't get to see down a couple of bucks. They were, they were everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. So he, he, he barely had the assets to uh, continue his day-to-day activity, his business continuity piece, Never mind, you know, the specialized reports and work that would be required to get them all out of there. So he had to wait. Did they come as fast for him as they could have or would have or should have? That's going to be decided by somebody far smarter than I when they all that information lands on their desk. And then the, then you step, step into the political realm of this. Without making too much comment about mm-hmm. whether the Emergencies Act is required or not, I want, this is what, and I said this to a very astute individual who was, who was monitoring the weekend, um, and I said, what I'd like to see is I'd like to get a room full of very, unbipartisan, no political realm lawyers put the you can't see my hands, but I'll put them here. Take the Ottawa Emergency Act. Take the Ontario Emergency Act. Take the uh, Federal Emergencies Act. Take civil law, criminal code, anything else you got. Put them all on top of each other. Let's do a gap analysis and see how much extra any of those brought to the table because quite frankly i think i would have done that event without any of them i would have locked the city down without any of them well you um, know Bill, to that point like toronto when they had intel or information that they, they locked it down they have not they have not they didn't worry about any emergencies act they shut university and queen's park down they didn't know ontario emergencies act nothing they just yeah. public safety yep, that's exactly. That trumps, like you said before, Brian, at the beginning, the charter, section one, guarantees you, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness until the province or the government needs to do something for the betterment of the community. That's right. That's what that is, and that's where they did, and I have no problem. I would have done that, too. And and when they started shutting off, oh, I was so happy. Somebody actually was listening to me when I was yelling at the TV. (laughs) They shut off the Gardner. They shut off the Don Valley. I would have shut off the 401 somewhere along the line. (laughs) <laughs> so I would have had to ask the, the OPP to do that. But, I mean, they had they started to do that. And what are they doing? They're playing mindfuck yeah. with yeah. the protesters. Yeah, exactly. That's what yes. the game is, man. you got the you got the ability to do this. You can do that. You make it difficult for them. And that, that event at the corner of Bloor and Avenue Road went perfectly, right? It went perfectly. There was a little bit of rumbling, a little bit of this. And I got a little bit nervous when that tote, when that dump truck got about six inches away from the police car, because you know the war games as they are, dump truck, police car, police car loses, 
right? Yeah. Just push it out of the way and away they go. But they respected that. And, and, and these protesters, though they had their own views, more or less respected the rule of law, right? Yeah. Okay, I know they took occupation and they had all that stuff, but, but, but that's all you know, a little bit on the difference. It's all breaking the law. I do know that's what it is. And people go, yeah, they broke the law. Yeah, they did. They did. But but they weren't, it wasn't taking it to that violent level, yep. right? So th- there's there's a quite a bit of difference. And your public order uh, members, the one, what I saw again, that was a training opportunity for all the public order units in Ottawa. They did it perfectly because they tra- their training days are... I shouldn't say this, but their training days are more violent than some of those. Yes. But it wasn't, they didn't come to be violent. Yes, people got hurt. Yes, people yeah. got got smacked. Yes, people had cuts. Yes, people got bruises. They got knocked over. They got they might have got punched in the head. They might have got this. But that's that's just the level of violence is um, something that, that isn't over the top. There was no major and but but we will, I will acknowledge that either side it could have went like that. Yep, it could have exploded, sure. and then a fire. Then the fire is onto the, you know, the, the gas is on the fire, and away you go. Mm-hmm. So you you eliminate all of those things, and then. How are we with time, Bill? Uh, I... Well, Luke, so you're not doing anything. So well, I, I see the door open I, behind him. But... I'll, I'll give you a couple of minutes. Yeah, that's. Brian's Brian's not a surveillance guy, so he didn't see the door open behind you, giving you the hint there. Well, but we'll make an issue about it. Uh, no, let's go five more minutes or so. But, but, I, but I wanted to get that in. That the, 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 it, it, was, it was a great um, command and control. You talked about the command and control and, and what I believe I was in the Ottawa Command Center. Um, command and control, unified command, great thing. But Ottawa police was in charge. They're the police of jurisdiction. They would never relinquish uh, the authority to be the instant commander, chief, interim chief uh, Bell, uh, always in charge, right? The OPP, RCMP flanking him, great support, support services. Um, they're both there because of jurisdictional issues as well, right? So then you bring in the rest of the, uh, I, I mentioned it already, Ottawa's had a lot of dealings with the Ontario Public Order Advisory Committee, which is all of the 11 police services in the province of Ontario that support public order teams. They've worked together. We've practiced together. We've talked together. We plan together. We, you know, we, we communicate on, on a quarterly basis uh, to eat in a meeting scenario and do all those things. And then uh, we have RCMP and we have OPP in those meetings as well. So it's not like the public order world. And, and then we took it to the now. Well, I, I know we did when I was there. We took it to the national level where we also engaged Calgary, Edmonton, all of the, the police services, Vancouver, right? So the public order game in Ontario and in Canada is, is pretty coordinated and pretty uh, on side with each other and know, know how each other works. The tactics, not all the same. But that's what you discuss and you talk about in tabletop and, and workshops and things to understand the RCMP do things a lot differently than Toronto police do. But you can always say that they know how to work each other. Really, and if, if that wasn't the case, Brian, the worst thing they could have done on that weekend without having some knowledge, understanding of that was put the horses on the ground. The horses can do a lot more than you saw. 
a lot more. But you can't do that unless you've got some coordinated training with the horses, right? Uh-oh. They are they are ultimate. You got to remember, you take a, a police officer's weapon, whether it be a long gun or a pistol, that's the ultimate use of force. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, when you get into that use of force continuum for the province of Ontario, a public order unit is the second highest level of force that any police agency can put on the ground. It comes with a 50-man team, which most 50-person team, which most police officers come in pairs of what two, if you're lucky. You might get a tactical team that comes in a team of eight or so. But after that, this is a team of somewhere between 35 and 50 police members, all maximum trained, fully equipped, understanding what's going on and ready and trained in in, in defensive and offensive tactics with defensive and offensive equipment, right? So you don't get much higher use of force than you do in 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 a public order unit. But I will also say, and I've said this before, and I've said it at the command table before, there isn't a better community based uh, t- uh, team in the Toronto Police Service or any other service that if I want some community policing done, the the training we give them in public order, the tactical communication training we give them in public order, you saw them. They were standing there, not engaging. But at the right time, if they felt they could get some intelligence from an individual, they would engage. They would not not talk. But it was just it had to be strategic. You're not going to get in because you don't want to get in an argument. But you certainly want, if you want to strike up a relationship with somebody, you do that. Like I remember in the, when Co- the U.S. bombed Kosovo in 1999, I was on the front of the U.S. consulate for 90 days straight. And by the end of that, I was going out and having coffee with one of the organizers from the protest group. Because about day four, we're nose to nose and we're shaking because both sides are getting shaken. And we're talking and talking and talking. We struck a relationship and then that relationship grew. And then, you know, we didn't become real good buddies, but we became friendly enough that we met off site to have coffee and discuss what what kind of issues we could sort out. But that's what tactical communication does. And that's what every one of those officers on that line were doing from time to time across the way. All of them are trained to do that. And they do that in their never, in normal every day. They're, they're the, by far, in my opinion, one of the highest trained groups in policing. Well, it's important that people understand that what they saw in Ottawa or even at G20 or any big protest is not an accident. It's a lot of fine-tuning and training. My wife, as you know, Bill, is a York Region cop. She used to be on public order many years ago. And they would come into Toronto regularly to train regularly. She used to tell me training with the horses because you said if they weren't trained, you couldn't deploy the horses. That was exactly the point she would tell me. We knew how Toronto used the horses. We knew when they were going to use them and what to do if they use them. So, I mean, kudos. You know, people get law enforcement a tough time. But kudos to law enforcement, especially in Ottawa. I think it showed public order and policing at its best. Yeah, policing is not, a, it's not an exact science, man. They're, they're, they're human beings in those boots, right? And uh, but, but they're well-trained, well-disciplined. Uh, do they make mistakes? Sure they do, right? Does sometimes something happen that shouldn't happen? Sure. But those guys have been up, you know, I remember G20. I didn't have the, the assets I, I had asked for, right? I was short. They, they couldn't come up with enough public order units that I needed to actually do the job I wanted to do. And 
I know that the guys were on the ground. I say guys, but the teams were on the ground from basically 7 a.m. until the last group went home, two or three in the morning. They went, they went quickly, went back, trying to find a way to wash their uniform to clean it up, have a shower, uh, grab a couple hours sleep, grab some meat, and away they went the next day, five, six days in a row. And they weren't sitting in a police car all day. They were running, chasing, fighting. Going, going after these uh, you know, guys, chasing them around, trying to save your windows day after day after day, right? Always goes back to those windows, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's a good place to leave it because uh, I'm, I'm sensitive to the time. I really appreciate you sitting in and uh, sharing yeah, we, your experiences we with us, Bill. Hey, Luch. Yeah. We could go on all day. I know. You get, uh, especially with some pops involved, and then we can certainly talk about it uh, for quite a while. But... Uh, that's it for today. Um, again, thank you for, for coming on and sharing your experiences with us, Bill. And uh, to those who are listening, if you like what we're doing, again, smash the like button. Let us know what uh, if you like it. And if you want us to cover certain topics, just leave it in the comments and we'll get back to you. And with that, I'm going to be signing off. Over to you, Brian. Just want to say thank you, Bill Needles. You're a legend. You're my hero. You're an expert. I learned so much from you, but I will never say that again. <laughs> All right. Good thing you're not recording that, Luch. Uh, <laughs> I'll you know, it out. It's, uh, it's it's a pleasure. I've always uh, enjoyed, you know, just chit chatting with you guys. But uh, at the same time, I find you both very professional and appreciate your uh, your efforts to try and educate uh, your your clientele and public. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks, guys. Until next time, folks. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye. That concludes this podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and will join us in a couple of weeks for our latest episode. Please remember to like and follow us on our sponsor's webpage, brianclayman.com, where you can leave us your comments and suggest topics you'd like to hear about in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening and don't forget to protect your assets.